Yeah, yeah, no, 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 show you the money. That's not so good. Show me the money. Show me the money. Congratulations, you're still my agent. Who is David Meltzer? David Meltzer is a best-selling author and entrepreneur who co-founded Sports One Marketing and previously served as the CEO of Lee Steinberg Sports and Entertainment Agency. He's on a mission to empower over 1 billion people to be happy. And when it comes to sports marketing, he is an all-time titan. The Icons of the Show, where we interview iconic people in iconic locations to unpack life lessons my name's Tyler Way. We're on location in Castle Romantica. No place I'd rather be, no conversation I'd rather have. David Meltzer, welcome to the Icons by Mo University. Well, thank you for having me and you're testing my radical humility with the greatest compliments that you can give me. But I will agree, this is one of the most beautiful spots in the world and I'm blessed to live very close to here. No kidding, would you consider this kind of your stomping grounds? It is absolutely my stomping grounds. And not only does it have the iconic beauty, but the culture, uh, in San Clemente as well is unmatched and surpassed here in Southern California. One of the things I find so fascinating about your story is that when I look at it from the outside, I feel like you really challenge my perspective on success. And you, you were a very wealthy man, you lost a fortune, and now you've got kind of this really unusual perspective on kind of what's driving you and maybe some perspective on success for others. Can you take us back to what happened? Sure. Uh, you know, first of all, let's say where I started, I would say there's different worlds that I've lived in. And the first world that I live in is a common one, is the world of not enough. And not only is it a perceptive world of not enough, it's actually economically was a world of not enough. I had a single mom, six kids, five boys, one girl. My mom worked two jobs as a second grade teacher, packed our dinners in a paper bag, drove us around in a station wagon to fill up turnstiles at convenience stores just so we could eat but I was happy. The only time I wasn't happy is I would catch my mom crying to financial despair. It was always some sort of financial uh, stress of clothes, food, summer camp. It varied in degrees, but my, one, my mom wanted the best for us and couldn't afford it. And so she used education as her empowerment tool. But I, unlike my siblings who went to Harvard, Penn and Columbia, I wanted to use money. I felt as if, gosh, if I could be rich and buy my mom a house and a car, then I would be completely happy. I had this extraordinary family, great education, but I was always missing money. And so it created a world of not enough. I would say, why me? Everything happened to me, right? When the car broke down, it happened to me. I was a victim. And then through my philosophy of enjoying the consistent every day, persistent without quit pursuit of this gold mine, this potential of wealth, I, nine months out of law school, despite anyone uh, believing in me, they mostly laughed at me, scoffed at me and made fun of me because I wasn't doing what everybody else thought I should do. I made my first million dollars and bought my mom that house and car. Within nine months? Within nine months of graduating, I entered a new world, I always say, a world of just enough. And that world was a confirmation of a belief that I had. Money could buy you love and happiness. And three years after starting that job, we exited at $3.4 billion in 1995. 1995, $3.4 billion exit 
changed my trajectory. I went to the Silicon Valley. I raised hundreds of millions of dollars. By the time I was 30, I was knee deep in this world of just enough, just enough for me. And what I learned was because money was my God, I used to tell mom, hey, I don't believe in God. She said, oh, you believe in God. You just don't know what God you believe in. And I didn't really understand what she means. I get a little choked up thinking about it because at 30, I married my dream girl from the fourth grade. A girl at sixth grade camp, my best friend Robbie asked her to go steady for me. And she said, no, tell him to ask me himself. And he embarrassed me. So I threw eggs at her, rocks at her. I'm now married to my dream girl. I'm a multimillionaire. I live in a dream house. I have dream cars, dream boats, green motorhomes. I have a ski mountain. I have a golf course, everything I ever dreamed of. But I wasn't happy. And when I wasn't happy in this world of just enough, everything became a trade or negotiation. Even uh, giving, right? I would give to receive recognition, acknowledgement, business development. And I'm sure you know people like that, that live in this world of for me, and they seem very optimistic and philanthropic, but usually they live in that uh, world of a void, a shortage and an obstacle that I did. And I was always in search of happiness, buying things to be happy, buying more things to be happy, buying things to impress people for their approval, buying more things to impress people that I didn't even like. And this all culminated into three red flags, distinct inflection points of my past, defining moments that changed my perspective forever that I've utilized over the last 16 years, as you stated, even through losing over $100 million, going bankrupt, going from all of that to a rented house, rented car, rented furniture with three daughters under the age of 10 and my wife pregnant with my fourth child. But today I understand through my journey how to teach people to be happy, to have the right God, the right relationships in order to do so. Wow, I mean, I, I feel like there's so much I wanna unpack there, but you caught me with three red flags. Do you wanna unpack that for me? Yeah, I think it's probably the greatest lessons that I can learn. So I'm 30, married to my dream girl, everything I ever dreamed of, and my dad, who I'd been estranged from, especially my dad was my hero from five to 10, but when I turned 10 years old, he forgot my birthday. You know, he, he's one of those guys, wealthy, what they call a deadbeat dad in the 70s. The laws have changed in the last 40 years, but a lot of dads didn't support their kids and their wives when they got divorced, even if they had money. I know it sounds shocking, but it was true. They were called deadbeat dads. Well, my dad literally was not supportive financially, but even worse, I would tell my mom, why can't you be more like dad? Because he you know, married this girl closer to my age than his. But at 10, he forgets my birthday and he ruins our relationship. He goes from what I call hero to zero. And I confront him about forgetting my birthday at 10. at 10. And this is why he ruined it. It wasn't as if I was that hurt that he forgot. I knew he was busy and whatever, but he lied to me. I said, Dad, how could you forget my birthday? And without blinking, he said, son, I don't believe in birthdays. I was smart enough to know he had celebrated his birthday his new wife's birthday, my sibling's birthday, other relatives. I've seen him blow out the candles. At that moment, it crushed me because I realized that my dad could straight out just lie to me, manipulate me, cheat me, the way that other people I had overheard said that he had lied, manipulated, cheated, oversold, back end sold them. Wow. So I separated myself from my father. I told him I hated him. And at, tw at uh, 30 years old, 20 years later, I get this birthday present, a big box, and it has my dad's name on it, 
to me. I couldn't even open it. I still can't talk about it today without tearing up. I was like, wow, my dad gets it. He wants to have a relationship with me. He's sorry, right? I'm opening the present in this gorgeous custom-made sport coat was in there. And I put it on and I look inside to see if it says especially made for my son, happy birthday, David, or even Armani. I would have been okay with. <laughs> and he tore out all the pockets. I couldn't wear the jacket. I went from complete bliss and joy to anger and hate again. I called my father, totally upset, and he said, hey son, happy birthday. I said, don't happy birthday me. I got your present. He said, oh good. He goes, go ahead, hang it in the closet. I'm like, I'm not hanging in the closet. Who would give you a gift you can't even wear or use? He said, well, it's not for wearing. I said, what are you talking about, son? I'm worried about you. Now, don't worry about me. I have everything I ever dreamed of worried about yourself. He said, no, you think money buys you love and happiness. And so did I. You're just like me. He said, I'm nothing like you. He said, no, son. He said, money does not buy love and happiness. I want you to hang the clo in the closet, that jacket. I wanted to remind you that you can't take anything with you. In fact, I would love if you know you're going to be buried in the jacket, knowing you can't take anything with you. I wish somebody would have told me that when I was 30. I wouldn't be where I am today. And I said, Dad, I hate you. I'm nothing like you. I wasn't ready to hear that. I said, Dad, I don't want anything to do with you. You're a liar. You're a cheater. You're a manipulator, an overseller, and a back-end seller. I don't need you. F you. Goodbye. Wow. Red flag number one. The second red flag happened six years later. I went from being CEO of Samsung's phone division, multi-millionaire, entrepreneur, venture capitalist, into being the CEO of the world's most renowned sports agency, which they made the movie Jerry Maguire about. Cameron Crowe followed Lee around. And you know, I, I not only now was a multi-millionaire, but I had access to things that billionaires didn't even access, right? Warren Moon was one of my business partners. We could go to the Super Bowl, the Masters, Kentucky Derby, Breeders' Cup, ESPYs, Emmys, Oscars, and Grammys. And I have not only all the money, but all the access. And I invite my best friend, Rob, since the fourth grade, the guy who asked my wife to go steady at sixth grade camp, telling you I've been blessed to be with Warren Moon and Wayne Gretzky at the same time. They invited me to the Masters, the NetJet party, private jet, go back uh, to the cabins with Curtis Strange. Rob's a huge golf fan. He's told me since I was a kid how he dreamed about going to the Masters. So I said, Rob, I got a surprise for you. I want to take you to the Masters and do all these great things, hang out with all these great people. And without blinking, Rob tells me, no, I'm not going. So what are you talking about, brother? He said, I don't like who you hang out with and what you're doing. I don't want to, I don't want to go. And you better be careful, buddy. I said, come on, Rob. I'm not doing what those guys are doing. Come on, you got to go with me, said Dave. You can lie to me, but don't lie to yourself. I'm worried about you. I wasn't ready to hear it from my best friend, so I told him I hated him. Told him, F you. How dare, I remember telling him, how dare you talk to me that way? All the things I've done for you. How dare you treat me this way? You're not my friend. I hate you. F you. I walked away. Two weeks later, I read flag number two, my life would change forever. Uh, I had asked my wife if I could go to the Grammy Awards, which are the music awards here, and with Little John, the rapper. We were going to go on stage at the House of Blues and then go over to the award show. She told me she didn't think it was a good idea, 
told me I wasn't paying attention to my work, I wasn't paying attention to the family, and I was partying way too much, and she was really concerned about me. I'm like, I'm okay. She's all, look, if you go, we're gonna have a problem. So I lied to her, told her I had a business meeting, changed clothes in the car, came home then at 5.30 in the morning, completely wasted, and there she was waiting for me. And somehow, to my surprise, she wasn't happy with me. She told me that she was leaving me. She told me that I better take stock who I was and what I wanted to become, because I was gonna be dead. <laughs> Looking back, I get choked up because I can't believe my mindset at that moment, because what I told her was, how dare you? Look around you. Who do you think made all this happen? Who do you think you're talking to? F you, you wanna leave me? I'm leaving you, and I went to bed. I woke up in the morning full of hate. I hated my mom, I hated my dad, I hated my best friend, I hated my wife. And I was thinking about how I could punish all of them, what I could do to show them how dare they speak to me, act this way towards me, be so non-grateful towards the Almighty. And as I'm thinking about how and who I should call to take away their happiness, I look over in the closet and there it was, that dumb jacket. I hadn't seen that jacket. You know, just like, you know, the teacher will appear, the jacket appeared. And I stared at that jacket and my heart was full. And I realized at that moment, I don't hate my mom or my dad. I don't hate my best friend and I certainly didn't hate my wife. I hated myself. I had to come to grips that I had become a liar, a cheater, a manipulator, an overseller, a back-end seller, and that I sat there that day taking stock in who I was and what I wanted to become. This is two years earlier than me losing everything. I'm not sure if I would have lost everything before I saw that jacket that I would have been in a place or prepared enough to have the right perspective to promote myself and protect myself, to change the meaning or relativity of my past by that defining moment or inflection point, which I've been able to do today. Because I will tell you, if somebody asked me about my bankruptcy at that time, imagine having to ask your mom to move because you forgot to take the house out of her. The only reason I want to be rich is for my mom. Only one reason I want to be rich is to buy her that house in a car. And I have to tell her, hey, you need to move out of your house because I lost your house. And I would tell you at that moment, it may have been one of the most challenging, painful things in my entire life. But here I am 14 years later to tell you it's the best thing or one of the best things that's happened to me. Without that bankruptcy, without that experience, I would either be divorced or dead. And we're capable through relativity of inflection points and defined moments of our past to apply them to the 24 hours a day to live in an infinite world of unlimited possibilities, probabilities, and perspectives in the future. Those three defining moments of my past, those red flags as I call them, the inflection points, defining moments, I've given meaning to, to not only empower me to make a lot of money, help a lot of people and have a lot of fun, but empower others to do the same. You know, as you're telling me that story, I can, I can hear the emotion, I can see the emotion. And I think about, you know, all the people that watch our shows, that watch our videos, some that are in a tough spot, they still love themselves, they're, they're working themselves out, but some are in that spot where maybe they've had rage or they've had hate outside of them and now they're realizing, you know, I'm struggling with myself. What's your advice to somebody who feels like 
I don't love myself. It's interesting. Um, I've been asked so many different questions. No one's ever asked me that question. Um, so the first thing I tell people is you can't find outside of you what you can't find inside of you. And so I like to ask myself open-ended questions. What are you doing today that you like? What are you doing today that you don't like? How can I be of service or value to that? Meaning to make those changes or who sits in a situation that I want to be in to give me directions on how to heal that. The overwhelming answer when we look within and the advice that I would give is I get people to at least start looking in as a first step to create coherence of remembering I need to heal myself and actually healing myself is a step beyond, which is a faith. I talked about earlier that I told my mom that I didn't believe in God and she said, oh yes you do, you just don't know what God you're serving. Um, I think it's really important to shift a paradigm. And I'll, I'll tell the story of the paradigm that I had to shift and it helps so many other people. When I was three years old, you know how much I care about my mom and how high in regard I talk to her, but my mom doesn't yell. My mom never hits as a mom. In fact, my wife, I'm sure she's not gonna like this, but my wife always tells my mom, you know what David's problem is, is you never yelled at him or hit him. Um, I disagree, but at three years old, I reached out to touch a hot stove. And my mom instantly reacted by slapping my hand extremely hard and screaming at me, no. My immediate reaction was crying and asking her, why are you punishing me? What did I do? What did I do? And I was terrified. And she immediately hugged me. And she patted and said, whoa, 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 I'm not punishing you. I'm protecting you. I'm promoting you. You're gonna get burned if you touch that stove. So many of us, as we explore within, we have to have the faith that there's something bigger than us. But unlike my mom, an omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent mom that loves us more than even my mom loves me. So that every time that I get slapped outside of me, every time I have pain, failures, setbacks, and mistakes, that my mindset is, oh, I'm being protected and promoted. Oh, bankruptcy? Oh, I probably don't know what I don't know. And if I continue on this way with all of that money, I'm gonna end up getting burned. And this one perspective paradigm shift allows us to not only look within, but to realize with faith that we are being protected and promoted by all the things that are creating the interference outside of us, which allows us to create what I call the foundational uh, application of why, where so many people that are full of hate, condition, judgment, ego, they don't understand they're in search of something they already have. Most people will tell you when they're in that mindset, I need to get more money. I need to get more healthy. I need to get more worthy. I, I need to get more happy because they're full of hate. If I can teach them not only to look within and heal, but also to have faith. And then finally to say, wait a second, if I am connected to and through the greatest source, power, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent power that loves me more than my mom, then I am happy, I am healthy, I am wealthy, I am worthy. I just gotta figure out what I'm doing to interfere with it. And this hate is interfering with my truth, my potential, my love, the light, and the lessons of the journey that I've been blessed with. 
with full appreciation, acknowledgement, and the ability to dream and to ask for more. What's interesting is, you know, I know a little bit about your story, again, looking from the outside in. And I'd heard about, you know, losing a fortune, the bounce back from that. But it sounds like it was a couple of years before that, that the real transformation happened. Do you feel like, is that what really fueled you to kind of come out of that tough time that, that you'd already kind of changed your perspective? And, and what's allowed you to not just let that kind of be a, you know, something that happened once and now I've kind of go back to my own ways, but that's really stuck. Like how did it get that deep that this has actually transformed who you are? One word. And it's from actually most famous word here in America made by an NFL football coach who went to my college, played at my college, coached at my college, was in my own fraternity, actually handed me my scholar athlete award when I played American football in college. Practice. Practice. I started to understand the practices of my life, the practices of values, the practices of knowing what I want, who I can help, who can help me, how best to get it done, and a practice of prioritization, the antidote to procrastination and feeling overwhelmed. I practiced identifying ego. I practiced stopping. I practiced breathing and all the different practices, meditation, nutrition, help. I practiced my non-negotiable. Practice, practice, practice. And they built upon each other. They aggregated and compounded to give me an exponential result. But it started before I decided any of the habits, any of the behaviors that were going to get me there. It started with the understanding of something called coherence, the fuel of practice, the habit machine itself. Coherence is why I teach gratitude. Gratitude's powerful, but I make an assumption that everybody knows gratitude is powerful. Everyone knows it's free. Everyone knows it takes 0.1 seconds. The problem with gratitude is most people don't have coherence of gratitude. You see, I can tell everyone about all the world thought leaders that I surrounded myself with and they all agree gratitude's powerful. I can tell them about the physics, quantum physics and metaphysics of why gratitude's so powerful. I can give them a thousand testimonials of people to tell them that saying thank you before I went to bed and when I woke up changed my life exponentially. But by tonight, all of your viewers, everyone listening and watching this, Almost half of them won't say thank you. By tomorrow morning, another half of them won't say thank you. And within three days, almost all of us will stop saying thank you. Why? Because they don't learn coherence. Coherence is remembering what's important to me and doing that first. Remembering what's most important to me. So, so many people live their lives like tubes, food in, food out, paycheck in, paycheck out, or Camus the stranger, the myth of Sisyphus, push the boulder to the top of the hill every day just to have it roll down to the bottom because they have no coherence. They can't remember what's important to them and then they can't do it. And so I teach coherence through gratitude. Might as well start with the easiest, fastest, cheapest, most inexpensive and powerful one. And if I can teach you to say thank you before you go to bed and when you wake up, I can then start adding additional behaviors that will allow you effectively to compound, accelerate, to aggregate into a trajectory of something that most people, it surpasses their reality. What I want is my reality to surpass your imagination through practicing and practicing and utilizing coherence, we can aggregate exactly, if not better than what we want 
every single day, understanding how to utilize the 24 hours that collects us all. The only limitation of today is 24 hours, and it's a man-made construct based off of the relativity of what's happened to me in my past, the bankruptcy, I abused when I was nine. We all got the list of them, but I take those defining moments and inflection points, and I give it meaning that is going to help me today and propel me to the future, protect me and promote me into a better place, a better position. And so I've created coherence, practices, and then effectuating the mind, body, and soul through mindset, heart set, and hand set in order to be efficient, effective, and statistically successful in those practices. Wow. I mean, I feel like I, there's like so many layers to that, but I, I think, I mean, I love hearing practice. I love that, you know, somebody who'd already reached the top name the top in multiple areas you'd reach the top and where did you go to practice i think that that's really you know an important message for anyone at any stage to hear but i'm also i think one of the things i'm still trying to figure out is with this coherence and really kind of figure out what your priority is and doing it first at a certain time you would have said your priority potentially was money so, was. so how did how did you figure out what your true priority was like how did you get deeper than that yeah so i created practices to prioritize and it started with what's non-negotiable because I figured if I could have non-negotiable every days, then I could then have a standardized practice of beyond anything. And that paradigm shift happened because it was, for me, I would say it was family, then finance, and then health. Faith wasn't even in here. I shifted that paradigm to health was a non-negotiable, then family, and then student of my calendar, time. This was the non-negotiable. And because time was a non-negotiable, I reconciled it with everything. So what does that mean? I started putting a minimum amount of time every day that I'd pay attention and give intention to the coincidences I wanted. What I started to realize is there's a mathematical equation of the universe. And it started with vision boards, right? John Asaroff, all the people you've interviewed, these icons, they pay attention to what they want. And lo and behold, years later, the house in Del Mar is right there. But what they forget to teach you, John Asaroff talks about is the law of Goya, intention. But it has five layers. So what I decided to do is I'm gonna pay attention to my health a minimum of 60 minutes a day and give it my intention for 60 minutes minimum. I'm gonna do everything aligned with the trajectory that I want in the future for my health. I'm gonna say everything. I'm gonna think everything. I'm gonna believe everything and even feel it in a trajectory. And I'll give you a, a great example. And it came on accident. I was in Philly the other week speaking. Big group of, of big entrepreneurs. These are, you know, net worth over 40 million, right? And I said, obviously they must have active schedules. We're in the speech and I said, I got a surprise for everyone. We're in downtown Philadelphia. I have the Sprinter vans downstairs. We're going to drive to New York two and a half hours and we get one hour with Gary Vaynerchuk. And then we're going to drive back. Who's in? Immediately, everyone raises their hands. Now, these are guys that can afford whatever they want. They all now make going to see Gary V the non-negotiable for their day. And then I said, I'm sorry to tell you, I was just joking. Because what I wanted to teach you is, what if I told you, hey, we're not doing this. We're all going to go downstairs in the gym and work out for an hour. How many of you guys are in? None of them would do it. If you don't make your non-negotiables truly non-negotiable, I make my health non-negotiable. Meaning, if my son wants to do something and I haven't hit that non-negotiable, 
it's secondary. I will do that after I finish the hour minimum of my workout. Now I do the same thing with my family, non-negotiable. 30 minutes with my wife minimum, 30 minutes with my 12 year old minimum, two minutes, I have three daughters, 23, 21, and 18, two minutes minimum with each. Everybody laughs, but I asked for five, they gave me two. But two minutes a day is way worth more than two hours on a Saturday. And then most significantly in my life, a minimum of one minute a day with my mom. I tell her four things every day. I tell her I'm happy, that I'm healthy, that I love her and I appreciate her. Those four things have healed any of the insecurities of being a parent. Cause that's all she really wants from me and all that she really wants to know. Now, so now I've taken two hours and seven minutes out of my day. The third non-negotiable is time. So I spend a minimum of 10 minutes a day studying my time. Activity I planned, activity I don't have planned, my sleep. Activity I'm paid for, I don't have paid for, and my sleep. I do it through a lens of productivity reconciled with time, how much value am I providing, accessibility reconciled with time, how accessible am I to other people, and how am I accessing what I want, and gratitude even. So many people waste 80% of their time on things that bleed them. I reconcile my time with gratitude saying, yes, there's light, love, and lessons in everything. Every interview, every circumstance, event, and every person and idea, but is it worth my time? Therefore, I'm feeding that which feeds me, not getting bled. And it allows me to be more productive, accessible, and gracious. So those three non-negotiables take two hours and 17 minutes. People will say to you, when you talk about David Meltzer, I don't know how that guy does it. He's one of the most active people I've ever said. They might even call me busy. I hate that word because busy means unavailable. I'm accessible. But I'm only utilizing two hours and 17 minutes to be non-negotiable. That leaves 21 hours and 43 minutes to do whatever the F I want. And so how do I prioritize the other 21 hours and 43 minutes? Now remember, I'm still more active just having a minimum amount of time, two hours and 70 minutes. I have all my prioritized things guaranteed done every day. I'll always be healthy, I'll always have great family, and I'll always utilize my time effectively. Now, all I gotta do is have what I want, who I can help, who can help me, how best to get that done, and then I'll be able to prioritize because I always know what's important to me, and I always know how to reprioritize it. See, prioritization, the antidote to procrastination and feeling overwhelmed, is a matter of understanding what's important to you. When you have your non-negotiables, you already get the most important things every day done. But now, according to circumstance, I get the next most important thing and I can make decisions like this because I already know what's important personally, experientially, giving and receiving wise every day in a trajectory that scares the shit out of everyone else, even me, for the future because it's unlimited. So when I tell you and I meet you the first time, hey, what do you do? Oh, I'm gonna change the world. People are scared of me. I tell them how I'm going to do it. I'm going to empower people to be happy, to make a lot of money, help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. Over a billion people, by the way. They're even more scared of me. It's not a low bar. No, but it shouldn't be because there's no limitations in the future. I can tell you I'm going to go to that, you know, billion galaxies away by the time I'm... There's no limitation, but people don't do it. They'll laugh at you, scoff at you and make fun of you. And guess what? When you do it, they'll applaud you. You know what's interesting is as you talk about things that for some people, you know, are, are powerful, but they're ethereal. Gratitude, priorities, happiness. I mean, people in general get this stuff. To you, it, it almost sounds like there's a formula here. Like I actually figured out how to make this fit in my day, happen every day, and not just be words or a concept that I agree with, but something that my life agrees with. I think that's really extraordinary. And, and 
you know, you've obviously been able to now kind of look back on a life that's had highs and lows and offer fantastic advice for people. I, I now know, I think I know the most valuable gift you ever received. What's the most valuable advice you ever received? Oh, that's easy. I still receive it. Ask for help. Ask for help. That's the best advice I can give anyone. We don't live in this zero sum game. When you ask for help, everything extraordinary happens, right? We get a biochemical dose of happiness when we ask for help, when we receive help, when someone witnesses the asking and receiving of help, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins, they're injected into our system, which makes us happy. It's a proof, a biochemical proof of, hey, you're doing the right thing. You're doing the right thing with your body, do it more. Right? So for me, it's mathematical in the way that it works. We just need to listen to what's interfering with our ease. Everyone wants to be at ease. You already are at ease. Let's figure out what's putting you at disease. And so I created four steps to do this. And I love the fact that you're picking up on, I've used all this scarce, critical business analysis, procedures and processes and systems in order to effectuate a reconciliation of hyper complex, high vibration frequency, ethereal ideas, including gratitude, forgiveness, accountability. So what do I do? I tell myself, okay, the ego is from our brain here to protect us, right? It allows us to fight for it. We flee from it. We feed it or we fornicate in order to create more of it. And so when I know the ego's purpose, my life becomes easier. What do I mean? The ego's necessary, bro. That's a long drop down there. Our ego tells us if you and I went down there right now and I said, hey, let's jump down on the rocks, our ego would say, run. Don't do it. Not a chance. No chance. The ego also will get you up, get you back up, get you started and get you back started. So it was my ego when I lied in bed that one day after thinking, I got to go tell my mom I lost everything, including her house. It was my ego that said, if you can look up, you can get up. It's, it's that fear, right? That allows you to get up, get back up. But fear uses about 90% of your fuel to get you up. So we want to limit the amount of fear that we use because eventually we need inspiration. We need to access the power we're given, not create power or acceleration with fear. So understanding ego, it, knowing it edges goodness out of our life, it edges gold out of our life, it edges God out of our life, whatever you think it does, but it will fuel us real quick to get up, get back up, get started. Now, here's the interesting thing. I need to be an expert at identifying fear. It's the greatest practice I feel if you have faith and believe in what I'm talking about to utilize energy in its correct manner. Why is that? So if I can identify fear, I can use it to get up, back up, when I get knocked out or knocked down. And there's some great lines from great boxers about that, like Mike Tyson, right? Never know what you're gonna do to get punched in the face. Or These are all people who understand fear at its core, how to utilize it to get up and get back up. But what I find the more powerful use of fear is just to identify it so you don't resist it. You don't try to fight it, go over it, under it, through it, around it. You don't have to lie to it, manipulate it, and cheat it. You don't have to deny it. Simply practice identify when you have a need to be right or a need to be offended or a need to be separate or inferior or superior. How about just anxious, frustrated, guilty, resentful, or angry? If we can identify when we feel the ego, intuitively how the ego is interfering with our ease, and instead of resisting it, just stop. Sounds easy, but if you can stop, and then breathe through your nose, out through your mouth, 
drop down to center, drop into the flow, drop into ease. Remind, remember, and recollect the source. Remind with, recollect with, remember with the source. The all-knowing, the all-powerful, the omniscient, the omnipresent that loves you more than your mom. If you can do that, stopping and dropping, you now can roll into what you want today who you can help and who can help you, how best to get that done, reprioritize applying your why in a trajectory to the unlimited, infinite possibilities and probabilities of the future in a trajectory of probably what you think you want, but will receive even bigger and better faster. So utilizing the ego as a point of understanding of do I need to use the ego for this or am I identifying the ego so I can stop, drop and roll knowing that the ego puts our mind, body and soul on fire to get us up, get us back up. But on the inspiration side, when your mind, body, soul and on fire, you're interfering with your true power. So when you're on fire, what do you do? Stop, drop and roll. This is the secret to what I teach in a very methodical way to increase the flow of the truth, your potential, love, light, and lessons that allow you to do whatever you dream of or even better. I mean, you brought it up a couple of times, laying on your bed, thinking, I got to call my mom to tell her she's going to lose her home. And so I, I, as you're talking, I, I can, my brain gets it, but I'm also recognizing that you were deep in emotion and that's, you know, you could be spiraling in all sorts of ways. But somehow, again, you said, if I can look up, I can get up. How did you go from, I'm mean, an emotional, whatever, I'm, it was at the lowest point. So the lowest point was my wife was going to leave me. That's the lowest two years earlier. The second lowest when reality hits, right? Because now the cause and effect become one problems and solutions become one. See an interval of time is defined by two moments a cause and an outcome or a cause. This is how we define pragmatically time. The biggest misuse of time, problems and solution. Recognition or acknowledgement occurs at these moments. So there was acknowledgement when my wife was gonna leave me, serious fear and pain, but the reality that she was right and there was nothing I could do about the causes I created. So I'd already learned the lessons, I was practicing them, but there's still that reality of, oh my gosh, I'm went from owning 33 homes in San Diego alone to a rented house, rented furniture, a pregnant wife with three daughters under 10. What am I gonna do? And I gotta tell my mom she's moving. I have really messed this up. And in some respects, I was more equipped, but in others, it was like, okay, I already got the lessons. Why are you punishing me? And when I lay there in bed that day of filing bankruptcy, <laughs> and keeping it secret because I wasn't the person that I am today. I illuminate all my shit, right? I, I am who I am. You're either going to love me for who I am, but you're not going to literally, you're not going to love me for who I'm not, right? You can hate me for who I am, but you're not going to love me for who I'm not. I am. I'm going to tell you the truth and illuminate to the best of my ability, spend minutes and moments outside of the truth, minutes and moments in ego-based consciousness. That's the secret sauce of what I do. But when I lied there in bed, it was another coincidence because tears were rolling down my face. I could not lift up my arms, right? It's, it's harder almost because I knew the lessons. It wasn't like I was in that ignorant arrogance where I was in blame, shame, and justification. I was lying there being accountable and that's hard. And at that time, accountability still was tied to what did I do to attract this to myself? What am I supposed to learn? It's evolved to what did I do to participate in it or the perception of it and what am I supposed to learn? But I remember, like I, I wanted to get up. 
TV was on, almost like the jacket. One of my favorite movies is Rocky. And so I'm lying there, completely crushed. And I turn it on and there's Rocky one. The end of the movie's on. And it's that scene, the music's going, I'm crying. And Apollo Creed is just beating Rocky. And he, I don't know if you remember the scene, he's hanging. And then he gets to the ground and his, what's her name, uh, Adrian's in the back and, and he's sitting there and he couldn't get up. Six, right? And he, one of uh, Mickey's like, stay down, right? And everyone else, get up and Rocky. And I'm sitting there, I'm down and I'm watching him. And he looks up. He, I see it. He looks up. Somehow the music going and he, he gets back up. Right. And then he pops Apollo in the, in the ribs. And that round ends the second to the last round. And the movie continues on to eight more movies or whatever. I think to myself, what if he didn't get up? What if that movie ended that he was just crushed? He had learned all the lessons. Remember, he went through all the different lessons in the movie that made us root for him, love him. But that one moment of bankruptcy, he had a decision to make. If I can look up beyond all buddy, everybody else, I'm going to get up. And because he got up, we all know what happened in the other eight movies. I wanted to see what was going to happen in the other eight movies for me. And I looked up just like he did. And I got out of bed. I took a shower. I put on my clothes. I walked over to my mom's house crying. I rang the doorbell and she answered. And I thought it was going to be the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And she looked at me and she's like, what's the matter? Is everybody okay? I said, mom, I lost everything. I lost your house. You need to move. Are you okay? Are you okay? No, mom, I don't think you heard me. You have to move. I lost it. I heard you. Are you okay? Do you need some money? What can I do for you? What I had built up in my mind turned into the biggest of all lessons, the witness of unconditional love. That here's my mom who told me my whole life I was lost, serving the wrong God. Arrogantly, I'm thinking, I make more money in one day than you made in a lifetime. And there was her showing me the path of unconditional love, teaching me that none of it mattered, that she loved me. She was here to protect and promote me. No matter what mistakes, pain, failures, and setbacks I was gonna have, even if it implicated her into them, that she was there promoting and protecting me. And my faith, knowing that there's something even bigger than my mom that loves me more than her, has propelled me and promoted me and protected me to a place that most people dream of in their lives, and I'm living it. I know people are watching this right now, and their back's on the mat, their back's on the bed. If, if, I mean, if you could literally look into that camera and talk to somebody who's in that spot, what would you say to somebody? I mean, you've gone through it. They'll listen. Yeah, well, first of all, look up and then breathe. Think about what you want. Think about how you can help and who can help you. And then start thinking about how. And then prioritize that very first step. Prioritize that very first day. Start thinking about what you want and continue every day enjoying that consistently, persistently in the pursuit of your potential. Also, have an open mind. Remember, I talk about what I think I want in the future. 
I'm open to learning and changing my mind. I love fast learners and I love hypocrites. And so if you feel that way, look up and then think about what you want, who you can help and who can help you, how best to get that done. I promise you each day will become easier. It'll aggregate upon itself and pretty soon you too will be an overnight success. You've got some 20 year olds in your house. You've got a good sense of what 20 year olds are going through right yeah. now. We've got a lot of 20 year olds <laughs> who watch this show. I mean, there's a lot of pressures going in their world right now. And it's a different world than probably the world that you and I grew up in. You know, if you think about the 20 year olds that you're closest to, what's your advice to 20 year olds right now? Besides ask for help, find someone who sits in a position that you want to be in. The fastest way to get to where you want to be, find someone that's already there and ask them for help. You would be amazed how many older successful people want to help. So don't talk yourself out of asking for help. But also one of my favorite ones is show me your friends and I'll show you your future. I see so many people surrounding themselves. See, your frequency is your neighborhood. And let me explain what that means is your frequency is created by your neighbors. And if you're sitting in the projects on a lawn chair drinking a Colt 45, you may have all the skills in the world, all the knowledge in the world, all the desire in the world. And when you turn to your buddy on the lawn chair drinking and you say, hey, can you help me? How many options, opportunities, and touches of favor do you think someone in your neighborhood is going to be able to give you? I'm telling you, frequency and vibration-wise, surround yourself with the right people and the right ideas. Show me your friends. I'll show you your future. Surround yourself with people that are going to give you more options, more opportunities, and more touches of favor. Surround yourself with people that feed you. So many people are being bled. 80% of their time is around people that make them feel like crap. They're watching things that make them feel like crap. They're listening to things that make them feel like crap. They're surrounding themselves with people that make themselves feel with crap. They're being bled all day long and wonder why they feel bled. Take my advice, ask for help. Surround yourself with people that feed you and feed them. It'll be amazing the difference in your life. Wow, I mean, as you're saying that, I'm thinking back in literally the words you're saying, when I was in my 20s, I was working for the Edmonton Oilers, a team you probably know well, <laughs> yeah. trying to figure out my future. And I started to write to CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. And it was back in the days when we wrote letters. And, and to their credit, I, mean, I wrote to 135, wrote back. People were willing to offer their advice. And I think that that message to 20-year-olds that ask for help and you'd be surprised at who would, who would step up to help you in that situation. I think that's really powerful. Yeah, more of those CEOs would respond to you than they would today when you're young, because they were young and they know how important, they know that they would not be where they're at if they didn't have someone elevate them and they wouldn't be where they're at unless they're elevating others. You need to elevate others to elevate yourself, but also you need others to elevate you to elevate you. It's amazing and everyone, see, they get fooled by the closed mind. I tell people, life is so simple today because of the size, scope, and scale of access that we have. We don't have to write. You can DM them. You can email them. You can call them. This wasn't available when we were working for the Oilers or wherever. And why is that important? Because I teach kids especially, just look for the open mind. How do you find an open mind? Smile at someone. If they smile back, they have an open mind. Tell them you like their clothes. Tell a woman you like their purse or their shoes. If they smile, they have an open mind. It takes a thousand times the effort to convert or to transition or re-engineer a closed mind than an open mind. And remember this, everybody has an open mind some of the time. Some people 
almost all the time. Some people, almost never. But if you catch someone who has a closed mind when it's open, it's really valuable. So qualify people by open minds. They have open hearts and open hands. And guess what? They surround themselves with people with open hearts, open hands, and open minds, which allows you to create two types of people in your neighborhood. People who help you and people that know someone that can help you. Nothing can help you more. I think that's freaking powerful. How do you know if someone's got an open mind, you smile and if they smile back? I think that's just like quick test. We can all grab a hold of that. Absolutely. And you can also make fun of them too. I, it, it's a danger getting hit, but it, like here in Los Angeles, I'll ask someone if they have Los Angeles Dodger clothes on because I'm a Padres fan. And uh, I'll say, oh, did you buy that on sale? And if they laugh, I'm like, oh, this guy's an open mind. If they punch me, I kind of run away. I mean, you've had highs and lows. You've had multiple careers with high level success. What is next for you? I'm on a mission to empower over a billion people to be happy. I'm looking for a thousand people through all that I do. The podcast, the playbook, my movies, my TV show, my speeches, my books. I'm giving them all away for free for one reason. I'm looking for a thousand people that will study, pay attention and give attention to the lessons, the principles, the practices that I teach so that they can carry it forward. They can empower a thousand to empower a thousand. People who think I'm crazy when I say I'm gonna change the world, create a collective consciousness of over a billion people to be happy. How am I gonna do it? A thousand people like you that will empower a thousand people like you so that a thousand of you will empower another thousand to make a lot of money, help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. I have all the books, the exercises and the guys, I give them away so you can know your values, know your practices in order to effectuate living in a world of more than enough, to have the faith of more than enough, to know that there's something bigger than you that loves you more than your mom. You are all, you are all being protected and promoted at all times. There is no punishment, pain, setbacks, failures, mistakes, mistakes are an indicator you have a better place to be. Allow it to happen. Learn these lessons. Allow me to pay the dummy tax for you. And I promise I can do this in my lifetime. Empower a thousand people like you to empower a thousand, do a power a thousand. Thousand times a thousand is a million. Million times a thousand is a billion. Powerful man. What do you hope your legacy is? Kindness. It's simple. If uh, that's all I want on my, on my tombstone. He was kind. I got, it's funny because I get choked up telling people because it means that it, it means more to me than what other people see. Kind to your future self, kind to everyone is not easy. I walk by trash, I pick it up because it's kind. I smile at people. If I am using the, I, I just cancel it. I literally live in kindness and I know it comes through me. I tell people all the time, they say, why you cry? Especially my kids make fun of me. Dad, why you cry so easy? because crying to me is like perspiration. When I work out too hard, my body tries to cool itself down. Well, when I have too much energy flowing through me, too much truth, inspiration, and emotion, the only way that I can allow it to come out is to, to cry, to allow my emotions to come out. That's how important kindness is to me. So I would please everyone, if you could do anything, be kind to your future self and just do good deeds. I promise you, everything you desire will manifest itself. David Meltzer, this has been an honor. Thank you for joining us. This has been a real gift for our audience. Thank you. My sense is you're getting a, a pretty good picture of what the icons is. Iconic interviews with iconic guests in iconic locations. Stay tuned for what we got coming next. My name is Tyler Way. Thanks for joining.